This week's episode of the Nerdist Writers Panel is brought to you by T-Fury. T-Fury is the original pop culture t-shirt destination, selling unique designs every day since 2008. You can snag their shirts for only 24 hours, starting at midnight each day. Missing a shirt from the past and want to get it again? Head to the T-Fury Gallery, where you can buy some old designs still in print and vote on others to come back from the dead. Every two to four weeks, T-Fury adds more designs to their gallery, so be sure to keep an eye out for the return of your favorite shirts. But you should really just buy them the first time around. So visit T-Fury every day and then get a shirt because it's gone after 24 hours. T-Fury shirts cover all of your favorite topics and fandoms. They've got everything from gaming, sci-fi, anime, TV, movies, pop culture, and more. Their t-shirts change daily, so check back as often as you'd like. Daily. Also, don't forget about the T-Fury After Hours sale. If you miss the day's shirt by only a little, they keep the sale going into the wee hours of the morning just for you. Check out tfury.com slash nerdist and see what today's shirt is all about. Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome to the Nerdist Writers Panel. This is Ben Blacker, the creator and moderator of the Nerdist Writers Panel. Thanks for listening. Follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker, just like it sounds. Uh, I myself am a TV writer. I've written for the shows Supernatural, Super Ninjas, and I'm currently working on a DreamWorks animated program, which I will tell you more about when I'm allowed to, but it's a lot of fun. I'm also the co creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, a stage program in the style of old-time radio, available as a podcast on the Nerdist Network, monthly at Largo, and touring all over the country uh, in 2014. Find out more at thrillingadventurehour.com. I'm doing a live Nerdist Writers panel at the Emerald City Comic Con. Uh, It's on the Friday of the con, and it's going to be really cool. Um, We've got a great lineup. We have uh, Cullen Bunn, Matt Fraction, Kelly Sue DeConnick, and Greg Rucka. Um, and that is, it's on Friday, the 28th of March, uh, Emerald City Comic Con for badge holders. And if you are going to Emerald City in Seattle, uh, come out to see the great Thrilling Adventure Hour Welcome to Night Vale crossover. Uh, this is one big show. Thrilling Adventure Hour and Night Vale is written by me and Acker and by uh, Jeffrey and Joseph, the creators of Night Vale. It's on Saturday, March 29th in Seattle. Um, You don't need a badge to go. Buy tickets for the Moore Theater. If you go to our website, thrillingadventurehour.com, there's a link for tickets. Um, A bunch of the Work Juice players are coming up. Uh, Mark Evan Jackson, Mark Gagliardi, Craig Kukowski. people you love. Uh, plus some special guests are coming with us. Molly Quinn will be there. Uh, Castle's Molly Quinn uh, and renowned fangirl Molly Quinn. Uh, and I'm not saying Alan Tudyk will be in the show, but he's going to be at the, uh, he's going to be at the, the con. So, you know, he's a pal. You never know what's going to go on. Um, so come and check that out. That's Seattle on March 29th. Uh, and the Nerdist Writers panel is the day preceding uh, at the con. Uh, join us for that. As ever, I want to hear what you guys think of, uh, of this show. Uh, leave, uh, leave a review on iTunes or find me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, and tell me what you want us to talk about you know, there. Or go to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash panel. I am done talking, except for the podcast you're about to hear. Thanks for listening. 
It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be lightning. It's very, very frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Yeah. Our old pal is back. You know him from such programs as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, CSI, Crime Scene Investigation, Pushing Daisies, Charlie's Angels, most recently American Horror Story, and there's even more. Please welcome back our old friend, Douglas Petrie. Welcome back, Doug. It's nice to see you. Get comfortable. Thank you. Say, say hello so the people know what you sound like. Hi, I'm Doug Petrie. This is what I sound like. <laughs> I sound just like this. With a background on Star Trek Voyager and Enterprise, among other credits, uh, they, these guys have worked on Terra Nova and Nikita. They're currently working on the pilot for Sci-Fi's television version of 12 Monkeys. Please welcome Travis Fickett and Terry Metellus. Hello, I'm Travis Fickett. I'm Terry. And finally, with credits including Dark Angel, The Twilight Zone, Medium, and others, our final panelist has worked in a lot of uh, genre shows that you guys love, uh, including Castle, Hawaii Five-0, and Arrow. Please welcome Moira Curlin. Hello. Welcome. (laughs) Hello. Uh, thank you guys all for being here. Let's get to it. Um, I, I want to ask you guys the most pressing questions that I have. And um, Doug, let's start with you. Let's. Tell us about, I think you were not working on American Horror Story when last we spoke. Yeah, I was working on movies last we spoke. That's right. Yeah. So let's talk about American Horror Story. Let's. We don't care for movies here. No. <laughs> we are a TV-loving <laughs> audience yeah. of people. Good. Um, but let's talk about M. Hosto. Call it that, right? <laughs> Um, what were you coming off of? Uh, what were you most recently staffed on? And then what were you... Oh, interesting. Mo- and then you're moving to American Horror Story. Tell me about the difference from those. Yeah, well, uh, worked on the short-lived Charlie's Angels, and then, uh, which was fascinating. Uh, <laughs> it really was. The show or, or the process? Uh, both, actually. It was it was really, really interesting uh, process to be part of uh, this reboot. How is it going to work? What's it going to be? Does America want to see this? Uh, we got an answer pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and every day I would just say, can we just have a hot chick on a motorcycle cr- crash through a plate glass window? And they're like, no. Oh, Okay. <laughs> um, it's fun. Actually, we should talk about this for a second because yes. we're kind of far enough away from it that we can talk about the debacle. Yeah. The debacle. 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 That was. Uh, in Wisconsin, Charlie's it's Angel. a debacle, yes. <laughs> um, because the guys behind it. Um, Love those guys. Yeah, who created Smallville. Yeah. Smart guys. Super smart. Um, they actually had a really great take on the show. Like the script, the pilot script that they wrote was really good. Uh, I don't know if that's why you got involved because you liked that or you liked them, but like I remember reading that and meeting them, and they they were really good and and seemed to have a good idea of what that show ought to be. Yeah, I think they were hemmed in honestly by the network and by by what the network wanted and what the studio wanted and kind of it, it, it was a it was an example of they were in a really tough spot where 
uh, and this happens a lot, when you, the more players you bring into a project, and you guys probably know this as well, the more opinions you get. And sometimes that's when you're incredibly lucky, you get this great synthesis. But as with many lucky you know, instances, that's, that's really rare. And what happens is if you get a bunch of entities who can't quite agree on what this is, including, you know, it was, a, it was a television series, it was a series of movies, Drew Barrymore was involved, everybody had ABC, you had Sony, um, plus the cast, plus the, the, the new creators, plus Josh Friedman had written a script which apparently was amazing, yeah. dark and gritty and, and apparently awesome. Wow. Uh, I read that. Yeah, yeah right. like, <laughs> let's see that. Um, and he, he, like... Killed the original angels in the opening scene, I think, and then the, the, the oh, new angels came I in. Yeah, yeah, it's great, right? It is. It was great. Yeah, it was fascinating. Right, he's and, an amazing guy. Yeah, he's an amazing guy, and apparently, it's an amazing script. And it was, you know, Drew Barrymore read it, and her, her eyelashes fell off. You know, yeah. so um, that that did not go well. So they they kind of, given that, that they tried an extremely cool version that. <laughs> didn't work. Kind of everyone's like, don't do anything cool, you know? And, and you get, I'm, I'm kind of half yeah. kidding, where they were like, don't do anything that's going to really rock the boat. And you're like, oh, then why do this at all? Because we've seen it before. Um, also, there was this thing where Charlie's Angels was a hit in the 70s because, and I, we're completely serious, there was no internet porn. So. <laughs> <laughs> Right? <laughs> so I'm Jack dating myself. It's Jacqueline Smith in a bathing suit. It's Jacqueline yeah, Smith. It was called, yeah, in that white bathing suit. And it was called Jiggle TV. Yeah. And if you were a, a horny 11-year-old boy, which everybody was in the 70s. 100% of people. Even the chicks were like horny. No, I've, I've never missed an episode. Right. I love that show. Because that should turned you into yeah. a horny 11-year-old boy. And which... <laughs> well, I liked watching girls kick butt. But that was... You, that was for the girls. Good, good yeah. backpedal. But no, no. yeah. <laughs> it had something for everyone. Yeah, yeah so yeah. did I. I was there for the empowerment. <laughs> um, <laughs> They're taking I'm away a your liar card. Than you are. <laughs> um, but really, there was no porn. So if you wanted to watch cleavage and jiggling and Farrah Fawcett's nipples seen through sheer material, you tuned into ABC on Wednesday nights. <laughs> And I want to watch that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? We're done. Let's watch. Um, and, and now it was kind of like, okay, so it can't be, you know, uh, it can't be titillating because titillating is, is, is boring. You know, it's like I can go watch crazy shit on, you know, the internet. So why would I watch it for that? So, okay, so that's kind of out. You can still do a, do a sexy show. But if you want to be sexy, then it's got to be character-based. And what those characters were, you know, we, we had a very simple model. It's like, how about they, they kick ass as cops? They're just like out of, you know, pushing guys' heads through windshields, like just crazy badass cops, but their personal lives are a mess. I was like, okay, well, you know, cool, we'll watch that. And what happens is you get so many entities that they're all kind of everyone, and also it was very expensive. So this is the, the kind of double-edged sword, and I'm sure you guys want to, you know, know about this as well. When you get what you want, it's scary because more money is involved and more people are involved. And the more money and the more people are involved, the more cautious the project will become. And that's tough. So if you ever see something that's really cool, that's big budget, that you really think is amazing, like, just take a moment to go, like, wow, somebody got that through, you know? Yeah. Which is why I loved Pushing Daisies so much. When Pushing right. Daisies yeah. ended, we all had our picture. And it was crazy, crazy making that show. And I love Brian Fuller to this day. And... At the end, we had our picture taken in front of the pie hole. You know, it was like, hey, it's called the pie hole. It's dirty. You know, they got so much stuff, got away with so much stuff. And, you know, it was like uh, all the crazy stuff on that show. And when it was done, we had our picture taken. I was very moved, you know, because uh, 
I had this overwhelming feeling of love for Brian and what he had done because it was ABC. And it was like, wow, he got, you know, the, what was he say? There's gay porn that's less gay than that show. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, wow. We used to come in like, this show can't get gayer. And it's like, we're going to have a murder between two window dressers. I was like, I was wrong. <laughs> it got like, wow, wow, <clears throat> fantastic. Um, but it, it was created with so much, like this very singular kind of love, and that Brian got that through on ABC, and that he got it on the air at all, let alone renewed re- and renewed yeah. and intact and beloved and all that. And the guys, Alan Miles, and if you're listening, Alan Miles, I love you to this day. But they were in a position of having to play defense all the time, and everybody was playing defense. And this is what happens with a lot of shows, especially on network. Yeah, is... I'd like I'd like to pick yeah. pick this up for a second because yeah. all of you guys have had this experience. Um, you know, yeah. we we kind of got to see Terra Nova from uh-huh. before yeah. it started there to it after it ended. There it is. Um, you know, we we had There's one one clapping. Silverstein. Yeah, clap. <laughs> Who's that? We had Silverstein and Furion, all of whom did drafts and had a part in it. And then we had you know Grillong was on, who had worked on the show. What was the experience like for you guys? You know, with there were so many entities it with a that, hand in the show. You described it to a T. Yeah. There, you know, it's a lot of money, a lot of big names. Uh, you know, Spielberg, Churn, and, and uh, a studio and a network. Uh, and ultimately it comes down to it needed a singular vision to really to really go. And the original creator, Craig Silverstein, had gone off and done Nikita. Um, uh, Kelly Marcel had gone off right. and done, you know. Even before there were dinosaurs, yeah, Kelly right, Marcel exactly. cut and run. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, so it was the same, uh, same thing. The more money uh, there is, there's a lot of voices. And, you know, um, there was actually about three or four seasons of Terra Nova that you guys didn't get to see because they kept reinventing the show is why it was so delayed. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we broke a whole season with Matt Olmstead, who is, you know, uh, Chicago Fire and uh, Breakout PD now, and, yeah. Chicago yeah, PD. and um, totally different show. Like, you know, that was like well, The Shield with dinosaurs. It was like this really <laughs> cool... You guys would have loved it. Really, awesome. It really yeah. was. It, it was really so was. Cool. Um, that was before we knew it was going to air at 8. Like, we didn't, it, sure. there was a whole uh, 20 weeks, you know, you come in and they say, okay, we're going to put together a staff, and uh, this is before Paul uh, Grelon got on board, before it was uh, run by uh, Rene Echeverria, mm-hmm. and they were like, okay, there was no pilot, there was, uh, there was Craig's script, which they wanted rewritten and mm-hmm. sort of redone, and they didn't know what it was going to be, and in between, mm-hmm. I get, well, no, right before it started, I mean, it was not going to be a Spielberg thing. It was right. this thing that, you know, Kelly Marcel had dreamed up and Craig had uh, had written with her and then Spielberg got involved. Apparently he's really big. <laughs> so once that happened and, and then... likes dinosaurs. And then another, you know, 800-pound gorilla. He's um, all opinionated. Yeah, he's all opinionated. Let me tell uh, you how it's done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like he knows. Yeah, like uh, he knows what he's doing. And so we did, we did like... I'm trying to think... Like just a, so many ideas for episodes and what it might. We had no idea who the characters were. Who the I think we knew Jason Omara, right? And that was and Allison Miller, and that was. You're it. talking again. You're talking about the first twenty weeks. They, a lot of people don't know anything. is they yeah. actually there were two. We happened to be on both of those writing staffs, but the there was a Lucky whole us. season that just got trashed, and then they went and made the pilot. So go ahead. Yeah. Well, yeah, we we they they were like, okay, look, this is not this isn't working. So that whole staff goes home, and we were like, I guess it's I guess it's done. And then 
there's an urban legend about the fact that somebody had ordered lumber in Australia and they couldn't send it back. <laughs> and so they're like, so guess we have to make this show now. Yeah. <laughs> and it was so they went and they, they made they made the pilot and it right. was off to the races. And yeah, then, I mean uh, the, the thing we did hear about at the time before the show had even aired was this escalation of commitment, which may may take its you know the the lumber metaphor yeah. uh, may may come from that. But what was it like, you know, the day-to-day in the room? You guys were creating seasons. Did it feel like this is never going to happen? Or, and did you feel the, the various hands in it? Because, you know, you, you guys always, were just writers. You always felt the various hands. I mean, but just yeah. because there were so many different points of view about where it could go. You know, the, the, you know, the, the network, I mean, there was a very sort of infamous call that we got at one point was the network had said, we want Little House on the Prairie mm-hmm. with this family which is not something we had really envisioned the show to be. But, you know, there's a way to go on that. If, you know, you go back to the original, like, Little House on Prairie books, those are dark as hell, man. There's, like, wolves surrounding houses and Wizards. babies go. I mean, it's, it's really raw and kind of really cool. hardcore. So there's a way to go there. That's not where they wanted to that's, go. That's, 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 that's not, not what that's they not meant. That's not the Little House on the Prairie they wanted. Yeah. So, um, you know, and then Spielberg, you know, it was actually really involved in the beginning. You know, and with constant notes, and then you know, I think he he had to go make Lincoln, and then at that point it was sort of like, you know, he, I, I remember on one call he said his difference of opinion was that the the, the network was saying we want a family show, we want a family show. Nobody seemed to know what kind of family show that was, whether it was a family that doesn't get along or a family that does get along, and we want to love this family. But he he said something really interesting on one call, which was today's family show is lost. You know, I want mystery. I want all that. And I, I was, I remember thinking, like, yeah, it is. It really isn't like a, you know, it doesn't it, have to be a mother, a or father, seventh heaven. Yeah, or, you, yeah, it's a different it's, kind of family unit that you know. Every show ultimately ends up being that way. Yeah. In every pitch, you end up saying it's really about family. <laughs> that's what they they, they want to hear. That they, yeah. they need to hear that. Yeah. So, so I think yeah. the showrunners they had a lot of masters to serve, and ultimately, I think we got there. I mean, by the end of that season, if if anyone actually. Like stuck through, we got there. There's so much applause. That's crazy. Cool. Yeah. That one is uh, that guy. You know, we got there. We got to. We'll pay you we, later. We were like shooting people in the head, yeah. and we we're like, we're going for it. But I think it was just too far, too little, mm-hmm. too late, and that's what happened. And this, uh, you know, again to come back to the the main thesis here, like this seems to be the way that television is looking. I mean, you look at the pilots that were picked up this year, and I would say the majority of them are based on existing material. Uh, and have a lot of entities involved, production companies and studios and networks and so many different things. Um, let's talk about Arrow for just a moment, if you if you don't mind. Sure. Um, you were there from the beginning of it. Yes. And it could not have been easy to bring what I think people thought was going to be a pretty big franchise. You know, Smallville was gone. And this was supposed to kind of pick up the baton, if I'm not mistaken. In a sense, I think, I think there were... Uh, there are there are there is a lot of money behind it these shows and there's a lot of expectations and there's a tremendous amount of fear mm-hmm. and it's real you're really dealing with people at the studio and at the network and even at the production companies who who just want to keep their jobs mm-hmm. and I I get that I mean it, there you know there's nothing wrong with that but it 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 makes for it can make for a less creative atmosphere it's very hard to think they want you to think outside the box but not too far outside the box you know it's like the charlie's angels thing so they want it to be cool but not too cool yeah you know and so i think there was 
I was only there for the first 13 episodes, and I was hired, I specifically said in the meeting, great guys, I, I met with, I met with uh, Mark Guggenheim and Andrew Kreisberg, and I said, I don't know anything about comic books. I know about boys in pain, and I can write that, and I love to watch it, and I'm really, in, uh, that just sounds... Love to cause it. You know, billowing coat, king of pain, that's my thing, so I'll be there for you with that, but I don't know anything about this guy in this island, and I don't, I don't know anything about and the arrows. I don't know anything about it. The arrows. And, <laughs> well, that was sort of my first. It was like, can we give him a gun? You know, because um, he has no superpowers. I mean, there's a whole, you know, it was a whole thing about he has no superpowers. We didn't want any villains that had superpowers, and I think the idea was that when they originally conceived of it was that it was going to be much more. There was going to be a procedural case every week, and that was sort of why I was brought on, and the more they started to develop it working with the network and with the studio, the studio and the network did want sort of another Smallville, mm-hmm. although this was clearly going to be darker and, you know, more adult. Mm-hmm. But they also wanted, there, there's that CW paradigm. You know, in Act 5, no matter what's mm-hmm. going on, Oliver needs to go to a party. <laughs> and and somebody there needs to say something that he doesn't want to hear, you know, there, or there, it's a secret, or, you know, there's, he, uh, he's going to see somebody kissing somebody else, and, you know, that all has to happen. Um, I actually don't know if it's still happening on the right. show, but it was certainly, if you watch the first 13 episodes, there's a very, like, he's got the name in the book, and he's got the party in Act 5, and he's got a lesson to learn, and there's a lot of so there were a lot of hoops that, that these guys were going through and and it and it, it is you are finding the show so the the launch of a of a show particularly mm-hmm. something that's complicated like that is very very difficult and and those first that first season is extremely hard I mean I I did it on Dark Angel too it's just it's very hard and there are expectations and. Even when you air and you get the great number, they don't relax or anything. I mean, it's not like they're going terrific now. You know, go ahead. Next, you know, there's even more notes next yeah. week because we need. You can't do. Now we have that number. You can't. We don't want you to drop. We don't. You know, whatever you did that you did right, you just need to keep doing that. And so there's a certain. There's just this. There's a constant pushing and pulling and tr- just trying to figure it out. And you are working together as a team. You know, you have to. You know. Um, can can we talk for a second? I mean, you've been there for the launch of a number of shows, and I have. that's always a tough and I've been, process. I've been mostly lucky that yeah. they've, that they've gone because that's a big thing. Is getting the, the the biggest thing in television writing is getting yourself on a show that goes past one season. I mean, that's a huge deal. Um, and you know, if there's no skill to it, you take the job they offer you. You know, it's not like you go, oh no, I know that one's going to be a hit. You know, that's that's not really how it works. If you knew that, you'd be in a different business. I would, I would. It's true, and I'd be richer. Um, can can you compare though launching a show like Dark Angel, which has this sort of heavy mythology and a lot of rules to get across, to something like Castle, which is such a clear concept? I think I mean to a certain extent, any show that has a heavy mythology is going to be harder in in a way. I mean, the the nice thing about Castle was, you know, he likes her, she likes him, but they don't want to admit it, and there's a murder. <laughs> the what the the uh, where it, where it comes. I could listen to you boil down premises all day. <laughs> Maybe we should do that. I mean, if you want to get me started on like craziness, I'll talk about trying to break a medium episode. I and mean, we used to literally, I mean, we used to literally take six weeks. 
to break one of those episodes. You all don't we'll, appreciate we'll, it. We'll get to that. Nobody I, appreciates I do want to hear about that. How hard we worked. <laughs> we'll get to that one. But, but in a sense, it is just as hard because there are all the people at the studio and at the production company at the network and they they want to they want to hit they don't want to they don't want to have to get that call they don't you know they they desperately want this to work and you are even on a show like castle figuring out what the show is and if you watch the show i think if you go back and you watch those that first season it's much darker the cases were really sort of they were a little bit i don't know they were just a little rougher you know mm-hmm. and then um in season 2 Renee Echeverria came on and he had a sort of a, a lighter touch to it, and, and I think that's, a, that's really where we sort of figured out what the balance of the humor and the casework was. Mm-hmm. And we started to understand somebody would pitch something, and you could start to immediately go, that's not a castle show. That's not a castle crime. It needs to be more something like this or twistier or whatever it is. But you, you could hear a pitch and know immediately, no, nah, that's not right. Tonally, that's just not right. But there is that process that first year of figuring it out because in the first year, you don't know what's right. You don't know instinctively what will work and what won't. I mean, not that we know what will work all the time, but we don't. But, it, yeah, but yeah, you start to figure it. out what that show is. Exactly. The, al- the first year is always about figuring out what the show is. Yeah. Even, even with somebody who, like on Medium, I mean, Glenn Karen's a brilliant guy, and he had a lot of that stuff in his head. Um, but we still had to figure out what the show was. Mm-hmm. I know mm. that's just what happened. To that end, I mean, you guys have uh, written a pilot that is. Has, it, has Twelve Monkeys been picked up yet, or are we still waiting to hear? <laughs> uh, unless you've heard something, right. yeah. uh, no. we're waiting. Yeah, okay. yeah. We turned it in. We shot. We're really, really proud of, of how it came out, and the and the network was really happy. The studio was really happy, and uh, now it goes into that mysterious testing process mm. where mm. somewhere in the Midwest, someone's handed an iPad and. They watch your pilot and decide its fate. Yeah. So it's they uh, don't watch it on the iPad, do they? I I don't know. I'm trying to think of the very worst way they can watch <laughs> it <laughs> and imagine that and accept it in my heart that that's how it's. Right. How uh, it can we can we talk for a second about that pilot specifically and maybe trying to get ahead of the conversations that will follow when it does get picked up and <laughs> figuring out that language of the show. How do you start to put that into the pilot? How do you start to present, here's what the show is in a pilot? What was it like for you guys on that show? Well, to fi- figuring out the language of the show probably started mm-hmm. in pitching it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it, we had to have a lot of conversations, just he and I, about uh, Travis and Terry and I talking about, you know, what is this from week to week? What is the series? What's the mythology? I mean, it's tricky when it's time travel. Um, and serialized time travel. And serialized time tra- travels. You've got to think pretty far ahead. Um, we, we were super lucky with that the network uh, they were like this is great we're, you know when they went actually bought the script they were like we're going to pay you to write a massive bible and figure all that out wow. so that they can be convinced and that we can be convinced that there is three seasons worth of, worth of show there um, That's so you once you've done that then you kind of look back at that pilot and you're like we need to put this in we need to put this yeah, in. it's no. actually amazing if you can do that if you have those three seasons ahead because yeah. then you really yeah. can. and they, they they teamed us up with um natalie chidez uh who was responsible you know she was on the first season of heroes and the first season of sarah connor and uh and and she's done you know she's kind of built her career launching a lot of shows too and she's sort of been on that on the uh on the ground for those kinds of things so she, i mean just heroes and sarah connor alone it was a lot of things where she's like oh this this is how this works and she was familiar with so much of that terrain, I think, that it was... Yeah, so what did you guys take out of those conversations with her 
Well, she's uh, still she's she's on as an executive yeah. producer. So I mean, we are still having those conversations. <laughs> what do we take yeah. out of it? Um, that you could apply to that pilot or to the Bible, you know, to well, know about the show as you move forward. I mean, it's it's sort of. I mean, we look, we wrote the Bible, you know, the three of us together. So mm-hmm. um, it, there wasn't necessarily a rule like, here's what you cannot do. <laughs> you will make a huge mistake. I think what you do is you 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 draw upon what works. You know, there was a the, there's actually a famous Brian Fuller episode of Heroes. Um, Company that, man. Company man. Mm-hmm. That you know that's that is a you know something to, to strive for. And the same thing with the way that uh, you know Sarah Connor uh, chronicles use their time travel. You know. There's, you know, and it's it's so funny to do a, this time travel thing right now because I remember there was a time in like, like the late '90s, like you couldn't go near time travel. You we still kind of hear it. They're I so mean, scared. It comes of, up on these panels once in a while, where and the networks were like, "Whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa I, I don't get that." And you, we 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 do have those conversations with you know development execs. They're like, "I don't understand that." They're like, "Look, <laughs> Marty McFly comes back from 1955. <laughs> he looks and he sees his other self." Okay, it's that you've known as you know. So you, it's right. it's actually it's interesting because you have an audience now that's been has you know, lost a season of time travel. Lost tricked everyone. That's like true. lost, yeah. they, they were like, oh, by the way, we're a time travel show, like season four or whatever. Yeah. Like they just decided. So I think those awesome. conversations would come. To that conversation like this can work. This is how it's worked in the past, and here's how we need to incorporate mm-hmm. that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I want to uh, pick up where we left off, Doug. Sure. Um, We've talked about the beginnings of shows, and you're coming to American Horror Story in its third season? Yes. Uh, how was that for you? It was fantastic. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was kind of a dream come true. Um, you know, came on Buffy, season three, mm-hmm. as well. And, um, so the show knows what it is at this point. Well, even something like American Horror Story, which can like be American anything. Horror Story, well, I, I got I to slightly disagree with you on that. In, in the most glorious way, it doesn't know what it is, mm-hmm. because... Um, it's so great. Ryan Murphy is, is the real thing. And um, legend has it. I was a big fan of season one of American Horror Story. Um, I had nothing to do with it other than enjoying it immensely on iTunes, just binge watching it. And the story goes that about halfway through the season, you know, it's a family moves into a haunted house. And about halfway through the season, major characters are getting killed. And someone said, how are you going to come back next year? And he goes, oh, we're not coming back next year. <laughs> <laughs> next year, it's a lunatic asylum in 1964. Huh? You know. <laughs> and, um, but it's the Mercury players, you know. So you got the same actors or the same core of actors playing different roles the following year. And um, we just started working on season four of American Horror Story, which is completely different from anything we've done before. So when I came on, uh, season three was Coven, and it was, um, Asylum was a, I, I thought Asylum was fantastic. Uh, it got a ton of nominations. I think Sarah Paulson, uh, in particular, just just crushed it. Uh, Jessica Lange was great, as always. The Name Game episode was just mind-blowingly good. And the arcs of the of the whole show... It got very, very dark, uh, even by my taste. I, I like it dark, but that was a lot to stomach. And then paid off in kind of the most glorious emotional ways at the end and the most empowered and, and, and the most satisfying. And then season three, it, you just kind of throw all that out and say, well, let's try making it literally lighter, where Asylum, if you've seen Asylum, it's, it's as dark as this room is now. You know, It's, it's literally dark. 
and season three was bright, wide, open spaces, lots of day shots, lots of sunshine. Uh, the witches all wore black, but they were in this beautiful, you know, palatial white room all the time. So you had in, in, in the, the visual palette, in the tone, everything was like, and much, m- many more jokes in, <laughs> in season three. Yeah, that's true. You know, it was just funnier. Was that was that something that was kind of agreed upon? Like we are, we want to make this season. Funny? Oh yeah, yeah. It was really conscious. Let's let's give uh, Jessica more zingers. Let's give her more jokes. We were happy to do it. Although Tim Minear, uh, raise your hand or, or scream out loud if you've met Tim Minear. Um, he is the most <laughs> adorable. Uh, I, I love him to death. And if he's Tim, if you can hear this now, uh, I love you to death. Uh, he hates it when I say that to him. Um, because he can't stand love. And uh, when I saw season one, I ran into a party. And I saw season one. I said, I said, hey, what are you doing? He said, I'm working on American Horror Story. I said, oh, I should watch it. And I watched it. And I said, this show is amazing. I, I loved season one. And I sent him, I ran into him again. I said, your show is unbelievably good and unbelievably scary. And there was a pause. And he said, but funny, no? <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, it's a lot of laughs in my house when my wife has sex with the rubber man. You know? <laughs> was it me? She doesn't care. You know um, that, that classic comedy like, trope of bloody Like you face. do. Like you do. Since the 1930s, they've been, yeah, hilarious. It's Bob Hope stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a, there's a dark humor, even in, in Asylum, very dark humor, but it really is there. And this year, we just brought it up, where the characters themselves are witty. It's not black humor situational. It's, it's more like the characters themselves are funny, and they enjoy... They're, they're kind of deliciously evil, and they enjoy being evil. And we really enjoyed writing them. Cool. Um, so, yeah, it was all conscious decisions. And then next year is... i got to tell you, we just started uh, season four. We, we will find it, and it's going to be awesome, and we don't know what we're doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to hear about how the seasons come together, because the anthology season is such an interesting idea, the season-by-season season anthology. Yeah. Um, it seems like you guys kind of, or the staff kind of hits on, this is the area we're doing, this is the genre we're doing, we're doing witches this year, or we're doing asylum this yes, year. Yes, very uh, much. What is it for four? I know it's been announced, I can't remember what it is. It's, I, I, can, I can say nothing it, it's about it. It's been announced. No, it though, has. Right? Because, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if What'd it's true, hear? but I heard Carnival. Yes, it does not have a title. Okay. Uh, but it will be. But a, that's the setting. That's, that's the idea. Yeah. Very roughly, that's the idea. So it seems like you guys kind of start with that. And then, like, what comes next? Do you start talking about characters? Do you start talking oh, yeah. about yeah, tropes we, of, of horror? Both of those. Okay. Both of those, very much. I mean, to use an example, last year in Coven, um, Evan Peters' character, we very much wanted him to be Frankenstein. You know, he's this frat boy who gets literally blown apart and then put back together with other frat boy parts and, you know, all the obvious jokes um, ensue. And we had all these crazy talks because nothing is too extreme on American Horror Story. So people were saying, well, well, like, if he's got this other frat boy's hands, do the hands commit murder? You know, it's like, but then we're doing this other thing, you know. So what is this really? And we talked a lot about, I don't know how much of this showed up on the screen, and Evan, I can't say enough great things about his performance, because he had, like, grunts and moans and whispers and just broke your heart with every one of them, you know. Um, we talked a lot about uh, Frankenstein, you know, the, the, both the novel and the original black and white movie, and kind of how heartbreaking Frankenstein was. And we really got into, like, let's have him kill a kid. You know, let's have it be Halloween night, and he kills a kid because he's trying to play with a kid, but he doesn't understand. And it was too. We couldn't go there. We couldn't go there. there this are things, season wouldn't hold it. This season wouldn't hold it, yeah. 
perhaps last season would have. Maybe next season will. I couldn't say. But it's that kind of thing. So we talk about tropes all the time. There's, there's really, there is not a, a famous classic horror movie from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, <laughs> last decade, whatever that thing was, where we won't steal everything. We'll steal all the furniture. We'll steal the, you know, the, anything that's not nailed down. And then we'll pull up the nails and steal those too. You know, we just, <laughs> um, we're completely happy to do it. And then we kind of, invariably find it and, and make it our own. So uh, to any, you know, would-be or wannabe writers or, or writers in, in process, including ourselves, you know, like, I've become a lot bolder about writing something down and going, oh, I can't do that, I saw that in Reservoir Dogs, or oh, I can't do that, I saw that in Star Wars or whatever. Um, go ahead, you know, <laughs> go ahead. Because those guys did, you know. Um, it's, you're going to make it your own in the doing it. You're going to make it your own. So, so well, you put your name on the script. Sure. So that's, that's yeah. the first step. Yeah. Yeah. As long as you get paid. I think that's what we're getting at here. Um, so it, it really, as long as you do make it your own, and I think, um, you know, you look at Raiders of the Lost Ark, how many Hitchcock and Disney movies are shot for shot are in there. The Matrix. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. Uh, every Tarantino movie, which I enjoy thoroughly, and he's a complete American original. Uh, but and he's, yet he's a patchwork of all of his oh, influences. Yeah, absolutely. He's the mashup king. Uh, Mara, tell us about uh, stuff that you were into as a youth. What were you reading and watching on television? And do you remember when you first recognized that things are written and maybe that's something that you could do? Well, my father is a writer. So uh, you knew. He was, he was a playwright. So I, I always knew that things were written. <laughs> um, yeah, I wanted to be Glenn Larson, I guess. I was very into Battlestar Galactica, the original <laughs> Um, I think I, what did I watch? Well, I watched Charlie's Angels. I watched Battlestar Galactica until they hooked up um, Starbuck with Cassiopeia, and then I was like, out, <laughs> because I liked Athena. So if there had been an internet, trust me, I would have blown it up. Um, but there was nobody, and there I, my friends didn't even like it, so I had nobody to talk to. Uh, and I watched The Bionic Woman. That was a big thing for me. Um, interestingly, I watched a lot of genre shows. And then later, when I eventually became a writer, I ended up, the first thing I wrote was, well, the first thing I wrote that I could show anybody that wasn't embarrassing was a, was a script about a, uh, it was a feature, and it was about a, a kid who sees a, a ghost, basically. And it's this love story. He goes to this small town, and there's this girl, and she's dead. And it's this whole love story. But then I was always saying, I don't want to do genre. I don't want to do genre. And Why did you resist it? I don't know. I don't know. I wanted to do cop shows or I just I just I was like I don't want to do that I don't want to do that my first job was Dark Angel which of course was genre and but I was like I got to get out of genre I got to get out of genre and then I went to Dead Zone and it's, oh, it's just more people with visions and and I did Haunted and he sees ghosts and you know I got to get out of this and then I got to Medium and Medium was sort of in both worlds where you, it was a little bit of genre and a, and a little bit of procedural and as I, as I became less genre and more procedural, I began to truly appreciate, this is sort of why I wanted to go on Arrow, because I was like, genre is, is ordinary people in extraordinary situations. It's the best kind of drama there is. And so that was sort of what got me into it, even though I, I treated it like a little redheaded stepchild. But it really was genre that sort of made me want to write. John, and F. Scott Fitzgerald. <laughs> Loved Jessica Fitzgerald. Big thing. So um, that first script that you weren't embarrassed to show people. Uh, how much writing of your own did you do before that? I had. Well, <laughs> I was. I was writing the great American novel. <laughs> I was going to be the voice of my generation. <laughs> and I don't know if anybody has tried to write a novel, 
but it, you can you get into this circular thing where you're just rewriting and rewriting. You have no deadline. You have no, you know, and you don't really know where you're going because you're inexperienced. And it's 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 very very difficult to write a novel. And I met the man who would become my future ex-husband, um, a marvelous writer director, really really talented guy named Fred Decker, and he said, a novel. Don't be stupid. <laughs> write a feature. You know, it's done. You write the end. You sell it. They give you money. I mean, you know, don't be dumb. And he sort of helped me figure out how to, with all the lessons that he had stolen from William Goldman, um, which he freely admits. And he sort of helped me along with it. And I wrote, I wrote a terrible cop drama. Then I wrote a terrible family drama. These were feature They scripts. were features, and I, I, I know where the family drama is. I think the cop drama is lost to history. It was on a floppy, and it's, I don't know what happened to it. Um, and then finally I wrote this, I wrote this, uh, this, little, this little drama about this, about this tortured, tortured young man um, who's, who basically is suicidal and meets this girl who's a ghost, and she wants to come back to life. And it's sort of how they help each other accept their situation, basically. And there's drag racing, and it was, it was very sort of sweet. <laughs> if you read it now with Gossip Girl and, and all these, you would be like, oh, that's, that's quaint. That's really sweet, what she wrote. I mean, it was so innocent now when I look back on it. But it got me a bunch of jobs. It was, and I sold it to New Line. Um, but they didn't make it. They didn't make it. And then I was like, this is ridiculous. I don't... I had been working. I had been working at Stephen Bochco Productions, and I had been. I actually hired Matt Olmsted. Oh. Yeah, for NYPD Blue. What, in what capacity were you working? I was. I started out as uh, she was Dana Flanagan then, and then became Dana Bochco. But she was running his company, um, and I started out as her assistant. It was the first job. I had come out to California and gotten myself a copy of the Hollywood Creative Directory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, again, I'm just dating myself yeah. with everything That doesn't I say. exist anymore. You, know, you, you all know how old I am now. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was, a, it was a list of every production company in every studio in Hollywood with all the people that you would write to for the job. And you would send out a letter and a resume. You know, you'd stamp it yeah. and print it out on the computer. And <laughs> I didn't have a typewriter. I had a computer. Um, and I sent out like 100 resumes, and she happened to be – they were just starting Bochco Productions. And they were making uh, Doogie Hauser, And she hired me, and I started as her assistant, and then I became, I guess I was a development executive. There wasn't a whole lot of development to do, but I mostly hired writers for the shows. Hmm. And I was there for 10 years, and that's how I met Chick Egley, mm-hmm. who co-created Murder One, and then eventually went off and started a company with James Cameron sure. and did Dark Angel. And so he hired me to come and He read my script about the boy in love with the ghost. And, hired so, me to work so, and you hadn't, had you written TV before that? Or you had to just I had written, now I'm going to date myself again. I had written a spec episode of Profiler. Nice. Um, yeah, if anybody remembers that. The Thrillogy, right? Huh? Wasn't that the Thrillogy? Profiler? It was Profiler. I think it was the yeah. Thrillogy. But what was the other? What was Pretender, Profiler, Pretender. another P show. And was, it was like a, they just rotated. There like, was nothing thrilling yeah. about the Pretender. That's just very, yeah. Now, Yeah, so I had written that, and then I wrote a, I wrote a spec NYPD Blue because I was working at, at the show. Um, but that was, no, I had never written television until I had, I hadn't, I didn't, I didn't realize that I thought I wanted to be a feature writer. Mm-hmm. First, I was going to be a novelist, and then I was going to be a feature writer. But I realized how much I missed getting a weekly paycheck. <laughs> and in feature writing, you do, they do not send you a check every week. No, you get, don't. you know, hopefully a big check, and it's supposed to last you. And I was like, no, that's not going to work for me. I need, I need that check. Um, and so TV was, was good for that. So what Until was it you're like? Canceled, and then you're, you know, nobody's sending right. you anything. <laughs> what was it like being in that room for the first time? 
It was great. I mean, it was. It, I have to say, it was a. It was a very. It was a very easy entry for me because mm-hmm. Chick knew me and liked me and 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 you knew the world having been in the Botchko I, camp. I knew. Yeah, I knew. I, I mean, actually, he he spared me the the pain of having to go through being a staff writer because he said mm-hmm. you, you already you know too much. You, oh. I'm going to make you a story editor, which I don't even think he could do now because oh. it's money. <laughs> um, so I didn't even have to deal with the staff writer job. I just came in as a story editor, and it was great. I mean, I think when. When I look back on it, and I, Jose Molina will certainly uh, agree with me. I mean, it was it was it was me and Jose Molina, David Zabel, um, who went on to run ER and is a really talented writer, and Doris Egan, who's also a brilliant writer. And we were so obnoxious. <laughs> we were so obnoxious. And Renee Echevarria was so sweet to us and really just listened to us when we were giving him a hard time when he knew so much more than we did. And there was a lot of like, well, you know, they did that on Buffy. You know, when they did that on Buffy, it was, you know, Chick finally said, I don't want to hear any more about that. <laughs> and I couldn't blame him. I mean, it was just, you know, it was just, we were just awful. I mean, we were, you know, and, and you, but you learn so much. You learn how much you don't know. It's that, you know, it's, it's, it's that old story. You know, it's like going through your 20s. You learn, you learn all the things you don't know and you start to figure out how much you have to learn and how lucky you are to be sitting here with these people who are willing to teach you. So, that's great. yeah, James Cameron was great. He was awesome. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah, no, was he, he very involved with the show? Well, he would, he would come in, he would sort of come in, and he would be very involved, and he, he loves writers, and he loves writers' rooms, and he's just a really smart, fun guy to hang around with. And he'd be, you know, he'd be, well, well I got to go. And then it was like, where's Jim? Well, he's at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, he told us, and then he would come back and go, where's all that stuff? We were like, well, we tried it, and it didn't work. Well, uh, this, we didn't discuss it. It was like, well, Jim. You, you know, we tried to call. Um, and then literally it would be, again, you know, he'd come in and he'd be very, you know, he'd be, I mean, he loved the show. He cared about the show, but he had other things to sure. do, you know. And then it was like, well, where's Jim? Well, he's at NASA. <laughs> he's talking about going into space. And then he would come back and say, oh, they have this thing called an exoskeleton. I think we should do it. And, you know, Logan can walk in season two. And, you know, I mean, he would come in with those were his ideas, Funny. you know. But, yeah, it, but he was fun. He was cool. a good guy. That's great. Um, let's let's hear from you guys. What are some of the early influences, and what was the stuff that you? What was the first stuff that you wrote uh, individually and together? You want to go first? My influences are pretty embarrassing. I'm just trying to think about like the Dude, first. I had the thing. original Battlestar Galactica. You know? no, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking like when that moment, like where you come online and it'll be like somebody wrote that. I was I was like, what was that moment? And for me, it was this. <laughs> I was nine. It was this animated show called Robotech, where. Uh, was actually a Japanese animated show and was written in Japan and they translated it for American kids to sell toys. But moms and dads had no idea what their kids were watching. It was before school and after school. And about six episodes, no, actually it was like a dozen episodes in, they murdered, brutally murdered one of the major characters. And my bus was coming. They realized, and I like I would, this, the characters, like the, a brother figure, named Roy Foker. For anybody who knows, he's no. still not over this. I'm still not over. <laughs> and uh, I, I just remember being so blown away because they didn't do that on kids shows. You know, there was a, was a cartoon, and uh, so I remember sort of that sort of started to be the moment where I was like, well, who made that decision? Why did that happen? What, and then it, it became a big arc for that character in that show. But that was sort of the first moment for me. And my turn? Yeah. Um, uh, I don't even really remember. Um, I, I'm i from Maine, so the Stephen King has always been a thing. Um, 
uh, most of that stuff's real, by the way. That's actually <laughs> actually happens. But um, uh, wh- a couple of things that I remember is that I, I remember saying, "Holy cow!" Like that's it's it struck me in such a way that um, made me think. Well, the, I remember first thinking, I, I could never do that. Really? That, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the, <laughs> this is really bizarre. And it is uh, an old issue of a comic called um, Animal Man, sure. written by Grant Morrison. And if anyone remembers when he finished his run, and uh, huh. it was he comes to talk to Animal Man and explain. He had written himself into a written corner. Written himself into the comic. He didn't write himself. I don't know if he wrote himself into a corner, but he, wrote, he was kind of writing his way out of the series. He was mm-hmm. like, you know, he was done. And uh, and animal, he's like, he's like, haven't you? Th- he's talking to Animal Man. He's like, haven't you ever thought about why nothing interesting happens to you when you're with the Justice League? <laughs> and it's because you have terrible powers, and the other writers have no idea what to do with you. And uh, and then it, in 22 pages, it becomes a uh, sort of an, uh, Grant Morrison apologizing to Animal Man, Animal Man for all of the things that he's done to him, and, and it was. Horrifying how awful this char- what he had done to this character, and he says it's be- and he says, well, the truth is, my cat was dying and I was mad, <laughs> and so I took it out on you. And the final couple pages were uh, just him sort of eulogizing and talking about his cat. <laughs> and that I'm it's, it's so underselling brilliant. this. You guys should go check that, it out I, if you have. And I remember it. just putting it down and being like. I can't believe that just fucking happened. <laughs> like, I, 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 like he talked to me, and it was like it was almost like a magic book, and I, I, I was so struck by it uh, that that yeah. From then on, I'm like that, that. He's he was in that moment like the most powerful person in my personal history, and I'm like now I must become that. And, and uh, that was uh, that was a big moment. Um, Travis tries to write himself into everything we write. He's like, dude, stop uh, putting yourself. Nikita, I'm chasing Tarragon, dinosaurs. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but what's interesting, I mean, even in those 22 pages, there's so much about what writing is and what a writer is and how Morrison sees writers and writing. Like, it's so wrapped up in that. Yeah. And it had been there all along, too. I mean, it's it's throughout those first 26 issues or yeah, whatever it yeah. is. But, like, I can, I can absolutely see why that would be eye-opening. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was um, uh, that. I mean, you know, Stephen King does it sometimes, too, mm-hmm. where he kind of steps in and uh, the gunslinger, he kind of shows up in that stuff. And but um, and then, you know, TV, like I, I, I wanted to write movies uh, as well. And I was sort of doing that. And I, I have um, a lot of unfinished screenplays. Um, and uh, Terry and I knew each other since college. And he was sort of toiling away uh, separate from me. And I didn't want to do TV. I didn't want to do, um, I don't know, I just, it didn't interest me uh, until I saw Buffy. Wow. <laughs> Cool. And uh, I, it was uh, when season two ended, and uh, and and in becoming um, parts one and two, and I was just like, "Fuck movies!" <laughs> I was just like, "That that is so amazing!" I was so struck by that, and I remember, I remember thinking, "How how do I do that? I have no idea." And Terry was working in TV, um, and so we started having conversations about about doing that, and then we started writing uh, with each other through email. Um, Where were you? I was, I worked as a journalist. I think I was working, was at IGN then? I forget. You're asking me? I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was working as a, as a TV critic for IGN.com. Um, and, which I did as a sort of like, you know, I'm like, well, I, it's, it's sort of close, I guess. I'll, they'll let me talk to people in TV and, and for pay. 
And, um, and then we just started writing back and forth through email, and then we kind of ha- sat down and had a conversation about, if we were to do this seriously, how would we hmm. proceed? Um, yeah, and it's uh, a lot of work, and that's, <laughs> that's about it. What was the first thing that you guys did write together? And I'm always curious to hear from partners what each of you, without getting into a fight or breaking it up, what do each of you bring to, <laughs> bring to the partnership, or what do you think you bring to the partnership? Well, uh, should we? And the first thing we wrote really is, is we, well, we wrote this time travel spec, um, which, uh, which is actually what started the whole 12 Monkeys development process. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the first thing. And w- when we wrote it, it was because it was a time travel spec. We had no intention of showing anybody in the world because there was a big, there was a paradox towards the end, and there was this big complicated thing. And I was like, nobody's ever going to get this. But we were writing it for ourselves, which I think is probably the most important lesson for any writers: write what you want to see. Um, so when we had finished that, because they might film it, because they did, they filmed this. The, yeah. <laughs> so you know, so uh, you know, that was sort of. Um, that was sort of the first thing. As far as what it, each a of shield us, spec too, we wrote a shield. We spec. did write a shield that spec. Was it was badass though. Yeah. It was, was so cool. <laughs> you guys would have loved that episode. It was a Dutch and Mackie team up, and it was it was really good. But um, as far as what we each that's had, called fan fiction now. Yes. Yeah. 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 It is fan fiction. I'll admit it. I'll admit it. Uh, you know, I think we each bring uh, kind of the same stuff at different times to the partnership. You know, We're, like there's. Um, people were like, what, what is your process? And our process changes daily. Yeah. Um, it's not like we'll sit down and we'll write the whole script together, or we'll develop it all together, or we'll go off and write different scenes and come back. It just changes on the, the, the demand of whatever that story is, I think, for us. I, I will say that I know people um, team up and decide to become partners. Um, they might be on staff together or they might be assistants together or something, and then they're like, hey, why don't we, why don't we give this a go? I have no idea how they do that. Yeah. Um, I've known him for 20 years. Yeah, we were college roommates, so you got to be like... If, you got to be like, dude, you stink. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this this is, is terrible. You, there's no filter, you know, and it's funny because the Nikita writers always would, would talk about our office because we'd be, we'd be bickering in there, which was a good... which is a, It's actually really great to have this thing where it's like, no, that doesn't work. So you have this sort of um, uh, quality control, I think, mm-hmm. in a partnership. But, you know, there are days we want to kill each other. Yeah. But there are days where you, the other writes something and you're like, you're a god. Thank you. I had no idea, <laughs> yeah. I had no idea what that was and you figured it out. So, um, I'll say one thing I know that Terry brings to the process is a uh, – no. Um, and and it's something that that got famous in the Nikita writers' room, which they referred to it as Terry Face, and and it's an innate sense of what's working. <laughs> this, is, this is this is the thing, huh? And and he would get this look of like, like I don't know. For for people listening, I'm scowling in kind of a bemused way. Uh, it's not scowl. And uh, <laughs> it's this. It's. And I used yeah, to hate You're just it. trying to figure it I used out. To, yeah, I used to hate it. I used what? to get so mad because, because I'd be like, no, this is working. This is working. And, and he'd be like, okay, let's, let's do it. And we'd go down, and it wasn't working. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so now I, would, I know like, when you get that response, and he sometimes can't articulate what it is. He's just like, I know this isn't, this isn't right. And then I've seen like, showrunners, when we've been on staff, come to appreciate the same thing. And they're like, they get oh, really worried. Like, appreciate. What, what it might be a yeah, strong word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's more like, oh, for God. God's sakes, why the face? You know? <laughs> and it's just like, well, sure, Mark, we want to do this. 
uh, because I'm, I'm, I tend to be like really optimistic, like that, that might work. Let's try it. Let's go. All right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wrong a lot of the times. <laughs> so it's, it's good to have somebody, you know, who, who can say, don't go down that alley. It's bad. I'm telling you, I don't know why, but it's bad. Uh, Doug, I'm curious about, you know, you've worked on a number of staffs and some real powerhouse staffs, and yeah. you are a, such a, a strong, like, go-to guy on a staff. What do you think that you bring to a writer's room? Wow. Um, you'd have to ask the people I work with to get a better perspective. Um, what I do you think you bring? Awesomeness. <laughs> you smell nice. Bags and bags of awesomeness and hygiene. Um, what I bring is... I think what I what I always do. It's funny because we were talking about um, I was talking with a showrunner who's staffing up now, and he, and he asked me about some some younger writers, whether I should hire them or not. And he said, "What can you say that you like about them?" And I, I think what they had is is what I bring all the time. Is every show I've worked on, I've worked on shows that I'm proud of. I've worked on shows that I'd like to forget. I've worked on shows I'd like you to forget. Um, <laughs> and, and you have. Um, I thank you for that. But um, Always, always, always. I, I can kind of put all the stuff we were talking about at the beginning of the panel about you've got money, you've got, you've got reality. You know, you've got political reality, you've got studio reality, you've got financial realities, you've got crazy actors, you've got not crazy actors who have legitimate claims that you can't address. You have all this shit that's very, very hard to deal with. And what I bring to it every time is I ignore all of it. And what I do pretty much every day and I'm, and I'm really grateful that it's the way I'm built and it sounds like it's the way you guys are built too and, and maybe you guys in the audience are built this way too I try to envision the best possible show imaginable I, I always, always, always what's the best thing you could see and I always remember I mean it's different places at different times some of them are quite recent I watched an episode of Game of Thrones that was literally breathtaking and it was the end of the second season. And it, amongst all the spectacle, they did something that was just cinematic where someone's walking around a, a curved building and the person they're following disappears. A 12-year-old oh, yeah. yeah. with a Super 8 camera could film the exact same thing. And it was the best special effect I'd ever seen. Mm. And then there was a shot where the White Walkers show up and this guy mm. scrambles, the, the Sam, the, the fat wizard, you know, scrambles behind a rock. And that shot itself, I literally gasped. Because I felt like I was watching The Empire Strikes Back again. You know, it's that feeling. Whatever that feeling is. And usually it happens when you're a teenager. It can happen at different times. It happened to me last year. But that feeling, and I remember being 15, and this was the great, great thing about working on Buffy, is that people say, what was it like writing for Buffy? I was like, well, what's it like graduating from Hogwarts? You know, like... <laughs> um, Joss and everyone there, too many writers to name, but... Everyone came in there with this like tremendous love. What can we do this week that's just going to blow everyone's minds? And most, and you talk about writing for yourself. It's like, what can we do right now that if I was my 15-year-old self, or, or or whether it was last year, you know, it happened to me last year watching Game of Thrones. I was like, I, I just had my mind blown. It doesn't have to be when you're a teenager, but I think that's when it hits a lot of us the hardest, and we never forget that moment, you know. Um, I always bring into the room, let's blow everyone away. Let's do something that just blows your mind. Let's do the best show. Let's go the furthest. Let's go the hardest. Let's go the funniest. Let's go the most heartbreaking. 
we're only here once. Let's let's do this. And I think that um, sometimes it can be intense. You know, sometimes you you just like you want it so bad. I do have to thank everyone uh, on the American Horror Story staff because if you've seen this year, I got to tell you, Ryan Murphy um, came in once, and this is where I knew I was home. You know, because <laughs> we've done some really sick shit, and uh, and I've enjoyed all of it, but. You talk about that, wanting to be in that environment. And I can't, if you want to be a writer, I can't encourage you enough. Whatever happens, bring that. Like, bring that. Because that'll never die. And it'll get crushed a hundred times, a thousand times by this town. We will all tell you that. It's always true. But it rises a thousand and one times. Like, always, always, always bring that. And Ryan Murphy came in, and we have a character, if you watch the show this year, named Myrtle, who's this crazy witch with red hair. And she's a regular. And we looked at her contract. It's like, Francis Conroy is in for 12 episodes. We're paying her. It's like, what do we do this week? He said, let's burn her alive at the stake. I'm like, yes. Let's kill her. Let's kill the shit out of her. Let's burn her. She's a witch. And we did. And then he put this Dr. John song under it, kind of in the right place at the wrong time or whatever. And like, whoa. And then she went up in this incredible pyre. And it's like, what do we do next week? He's like, we'll worry about that next week. (laughs) And we brought her back. It's a witch show, you know. Wow. We brought her back. So I guess that's what I'm saying, and it seems like these guys have, have the same spirit, is um, remember, and this is really hard to remember, you know, but whether you're writing alone or writing on a staff or whatever, just remember that thing, you know, whether it was, you know, there's certain moments in Pulp Fiction where you just go, whoa, this guy loves movies so much, and it's infectious, you know. Um, remember what you loved to death, you know, what you would die for and what you loved more than anything. And I think that's what I, what I trying to do that is what I bring. Um, I want to get some questions from you guys, uh, but before I do, I do want to talk about medium because I need to know. Can I just say one thing though? Yes. You know, Adam killed a little boy. Is this a friend of yours? No, or? Adam in season four. Yes. He kills that little boy. Yes. Which yes. that was Adam I, the Frankenstein. Adam was a Frankenstein. He, he was, and he boy. kills that little boy to see how he works. That's right. And it, that is actually one of the creepiest things that happens in all seven years of Buffy. Yeah. Right, and you don't even see it. It's a news report later. But I had to explain that to my daughter. Yeah, we, we Mara, Mara was saying back uh, in the green room that she is watching Buffy with her ten-year-old daughter and my seventy-something-year-old mother, and and everybody's loving. It. And you're watching they're, it for the second time. Yeah, my daughter's yeah. absolutely obsessed. She was Buffy for Halloween. It was it was so awesome. I just I was so excited. I couldn't believe it. She first she wanted to be a cat, and then she thought she'd be Buffy. And I was like, I'm going to get you the best costume. I was on eBay buying an eighty-dollar. Mr. Pointy, and I mean, it was a whole. I spent so much money, and she looked great. <laughs> so excited, the perfect hair. It's like no, she had the side bangs. Yeah, it was a whole thing. I, I feel so scared for the kids who went out dressed as vampires. <laughs> <laughs> Most of them didn't get it, but there were several adults who looked at her and went, "Cool." <laughs> she said she was very pleased. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so I do want to hear about Medium and why it would take six weeks to break an episode. <laughs> That show, this is eating at me. well, and part of it, part of it actually is what Doug was just talking about, which is, and, and Glenn Karen used to call it, he, he was, there was a lot of turnover in the staff and it was, there were a lot of talented people on the staff who, who, who didn't work for whatever reason, but everybody who came in was basically, he, he would call it a rigorousness of thinking. 
And what that sort of means in, a, in, a, in layman's terms is it's never good enough. You're, that first idea is not good enough. You can always be smarter. It can always be twistier. It can always be more surprising. And there was a constant attempt to set up expectations in the audience. Oh, this is the episode where they do this. And then subvert them and do something different. different. And that was always the goal. Obviously, you, you can't hit it 22, or I think we did 24 at one season. I don't even know how we managed that. But there were episodes where somebody would have an idea, and it was so good that you, you're, you're not pulling the ripcord. If it takes six weeks, it's going to take six weeks, and we'll, we'll write it over the weekend, or we'll do whatever we have to do. But it's, it's, we're not giving up on this because this idea is so brilliant. We have to be smart enough to figure out a way to do this, or, can, or we need to turn in our writer's guild cards. Can you recall a specific instance of that? No, it's all a big blur. I do remember a lot of episodes. I do remember my favorite story about Medium is just because it was this. I had written a script, and I had turned it in early, and Glenn had 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 he did. There were things about it he didn't like, and he wanted to change it. So we rebroke it, and I wrote another script. This is how early it was. It was the first script I wrote for season two, and he still wasn't happy with it. And now we were shooting. And so what you would ha- – and we would shoot an order on Medium. You, you, we would shoot the script in order because he was rewriting an order, and that was just how he wanted to do it. So it was – I mean, that was a huge production issue. But so we had on the board – we were rebreaking it again. And we had on the board – things that were written in black were things that were already shot. There was nothing we could do about it. Things that were written in green were things we were going to shoot today or they were going to shoot tomorrow, and then the rest of it was all a big blur. And I was – it, the story had been kind of a sweet story about uh, some friend of Allison's as a child, and she had faked her own death, and Allison finds her and all this other stuff. And in the meantime, there's this crime, and there's this girl who's missing. And we're literally staring at the board, and we're in, like, day two or three of shooting. And there's this long silence, and we're all staring at the board. And I can curse, right? We encourage okay. it. All right. <laughs> and, I, and I'm staring at the board, and I said, I said, you know, I really think the only way this is going to work is if the father is fucking the daughter. <laughs> and Renee Echeverria went, yeah, that's it. That's all we got. And the actor had already come in. Oh, God bless him. It was giving a performance in which he was not fucking his daughter. <laughs> and we, start, we, and we, cut, we bring Glenn in. We're like, Glenn. And he was like, yeah, no, definitely. Now you finally hit on it, you know. <laughs> and I appreciate the hard work. It was a yeoman's effort. That was his, you know. We're like, okay, well, it's day three of shooting, so we better get on this. And then we write these pages, and we send them off to the actor, and we send them on his fax machine. <laughs> and his daughter picked them up and all of a sudden they're in, you know and he called and he was mad and we were like no but it's going to be a really good episode and it was it it was a good episode it was a really good episode it was one of my favorites but it was it was hard you know and and we, we did it with a smile on our faces i mean we were you know we were working hard and we were getting it done and we were proud of ourselves so if, if someone's throwing out an idea that you guys say this is, or if Glenn says, you know, this is indelible, we need to do this idea, um, and it can't be broken in a week, what are the mechanics of the writing and production for that? Like, the train keeps going. Well, the fascinating thing about working on Medium was that it was, it was always, um, it, it took 10 days to shoot the show, but they would only budget for eight so the, the call sheets would come out that were like, you know, day 10 of eight. And for us, that was great because it was like, wow, prep gets pushed, you know, because everything gets pushed. It all gets pushed. It all gets pushed. And then you get to the end of the year and you have a two-week hiatus. And you need to come back with a story, 
and it's, you know, it's June, it's May or what in May we were still working. So, and still shooting. And so for production and for the actors, I think especially, it, it was hard on everybody, but it was harder on them. I mean, we were just up in the conference room getting free lunch, <laughs> you know. So, and yeah, we worked some weekends, but for the most part, it was, you know, it was not, it, it was not, you couldn't, you couldn't work all night. You were exhausted. You'd really been working hard all day. <laughs> you would go home. We would all have these crazy commutes. That was the big con because it was in Manhattan Beach. But we, oh. and so we would, we would be on the Jeez. freeway for an hour and we would call each other and go, I think I know how to fix, the, you know, the end of act three. <laughs> or you would wake up in the middle of the night and you would have this thought and we, there wasn't texting then. But we, in the morning we would come and go, I think I got it. I think I got it. So there was a lot of that. We were we, 24 hours a day. We were thinking about medium. <laughs> Uh, all right, we have time for a couple of questions from you guys. Uh, g'day. Um, I was wondering if you could recall any specific practices from showrunners you've worked with that you've thought, when I run my own show, I'm either going to do that or make sure I don't do that. Well-formed, very efficiently asked. Wow. <laughs> we'll be here all night. Uh, <laughs> I, mine is actually another Renee Echeverria um, moment, which is um, we were shooting Terra Nova. They were shooting in uh, Australia, and we were breaking an episode, episode eight or nine, I think. We, had, we were breaking. And the network decided they didn't like the mythology and what was coming and the season, and they wanted to throw all of it out and, and start sort of in a new place. And it was, I mean, it was, I, this was my first staff job, you know, and I, I think you had I went to, home. He went yeah. home. <laughs> I could, it was the I middle of the night. I Velociraptor or T-Rex or anything. I was done. For it was long. so, like, did, you know, soul-shattering kind of moment mm. where you're just like, what do you do now? And Renee goes, he does this, he does this, yeah. and he goes, can we see dailies? Can we get the dailies? He wanted to, so he wanted to make a chart of what had been written, what had been shot, what was shooting right now, because it's a world away, right? And they're shooting while we're there. And, and figure out what could be changed, what we're stuck with, and how, how to proceed. And never lost his cool. And it, and it was sort of a, a mentality of, like, he cared and he was doing the, you know, doing the job and really, like, was passionate about making this all work. But at the end of the day, it's television like it's not we're not doing heart surgery no one's gonna die on the table tonight and uh i just remember thinking okay that is the mindset that i'm going to you know uh, take a photo of this a mental picture of this and remember because i would have lost my shit at that point and he didn't so he, he would probably tell you that you, you need to be cuban <laughs> Maybe that's it. That. Yeah, Honorary Cuban? Cuban? Can you do you that? Can, yeah, you can. It's, I don't know how he does it, but it, it's true. I, 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 have, I worked with him on three different shows, and he, I, I never saw him lose it. And, and, and what, he, what he never would do is, is visit his stress upon the writers. Yeah. It was. It was. So we were. Al- we always felt that we were in a safe place with him. We always felt, and that was uh, one of the things that I, when we were on Dark Angel, and the, so many of us were just just hammering on him. That's a stupid idea. That's a terrible idea. And one day I saw him. It was we were at Medium, and I would still fight with him about stuff. And it was he was talking about an idea that I just thought was awful. I mean, I God, it's terrible. It's not going to work. It's not going to. I'm sitting there like you know. It's not going to work. And he would tease me. He's like, oh, there's Moira sitting with her arms crossed. And you know, she hates this idea. And I was like, I do. I hate this idea. But Bruce Miller, who's also a wonderful writer, um, was just recently on Eureka and is developing. Great guy. Wonderful guy. 
And he went along with him. He was like, yeah, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. And it was very much, it was a little bit the face, because I was doing the face. And, I, and it didn't work. It ultimately didn't work. And I was right. Because the face is right. The face is always right. <laughs> Listen to the face. But the, but the lesson I learned was, d- don't fight about it. Follow it. Just go with it for a little bit. And, and you will see how it isn't working. But also, maybe something will come out of that that is brilliant, that does work. You know, you never get anywhere trying to stop somebody. You, the, the way to get there is, is, to, is to think it all the way through and follow that path, even if it's a, a path that leads you into a bit of a cul-de-sac. There's going to be something you get from that, and nobody gets their feelings hurt. It's not that it's kumbaya all the time, but there's, there is, you have to have a respect for everybody in the room. And, and I really learned that from Renee. Mm, that's great. So, Doug, what am I? I think um, it was like late 90s, early 2000s when um, we were working on a Buffy episode and we were just stuck, you know, and, and they were really hard to make. And um, all of us, the, the entire room was just stuck. And um, Joss came in and we really wanted to please him. We had so much respect for him and came in and we were like, we're, man, we're, we're, we're jammed. You know, we, we got nothing. You know, we're just jammed. And he said, well... South Park, bigger, longer, and uncuts playing down down at the you know pier. Let's go see that. And we're like, can we? He's like, yeah. We're like, yeah. Fuck yeah. Let's go. And we watched the South Park movie, and there's one line in that that was so filthy that I I laughed so hard I was actually screaming. <laughs> and and then he said, okay, go home. See you tomorrow. And we just sat there and just laughed our asses off for the entire ninety minutes. We couldn't believe it. And what it did was it broke the tension and it was a message to all of us. He was like, I love you guys. I know how hard you're working and, and he could be very tough. I mean, he could be really tough and always correct, you know, but, um, which he just is. But, um, what it also said was guys, it's us. We'll figure it out. I trust you. And we came in the next day and in about 15 minutes we had like three stories broken, you know, I wouldn't recommend that as a, as a regular practice, <laughs> you know, although that movie is really funny. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's sometimes you have to, as a showrunner, read the room and know when to do something completely unprofessional to remind everyone, it's our show, it's, it's our circus, we're having fun, it, this, this is our school, you know. So um, that worked a treat. Mm-hmm. That's great. Especially now when pilots are so much more in demand than spec episodes to get jobs. How are you, when you're writing a pilot, how do you decide, okay, I want to put, this will go in the pilot, this will stay out of it, this is more for right later down the show, because you don't have the benefit of a Bible to explain what that thing is in the pilot. So how do you decide what gets in, what stays out, especially when you're writing a spec pilot? Well, I, I think there's, I mean, it depends. I come from the philosophy of you have a really great idea and it's that pilot and you're really trying to sell yourself in those 50 pages. I don't I say don't hold it back. I mean if the pilot gets picked up, you can pull it back. I mean I think we kind of did that actually for our pilots we ended with originally with the mid-season cliffhanger. Um and we had to pull that out. So I I just think if you have some great idea, you know, as to where it goes, obviously, I mean, that's not always the case. I mean, you might have mythology that, like, if you have a great enough script, you'll sit down with the execs and you can explain this is where that's going to go. And they'll be like, oh, wow, that's great. But, you know, I think it's probably if you've got a really great 
trick, yeah. I think you should play it. Yeah, it's like I think it, I don't know if it's urban legend, but you know, Sean Ryan famously wrote The Shield and had that great ending where Vic Mackey kills a cop, <laughs> and and he he said that then they said, well, oh, that's great, we, we're picking it up, and what happens? He goes, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. So, but it was a but great you, way. That to could end easily have been a season finale. I mean, you yeah. could have followed that 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 story of an undercover cop following Vic for the yeah. whole season, yeah. but it yeah. was. You know, you've got a great idea to do it. I think you need to trust your gut, though, too. I mean, I'm, I'm specking a pilot now, and it's there's nobody giving me notes, and there's no, I'm just doing it on the weekends. And there's stuff in there that I really like, but every time I read it over, I just bump on it. There's just, it's too soon for that character, or it's, too, you know, and you got to kill your baby. You know, you got to, if, if you're bumping on it, it probably doesn't belong there, even if it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, let's hear about what you guys are, are watching on television, what your rooms are talking about, if you're in rooms, what you're talking about with your friends or life partners or thrones. writing partners. Everybody's talking about thrones. Thrones? Yeah. Uh, yeah, thrones. let's start with you, Mara. What, oh, well, what are you watching detective. these days? True detective. Everybody's, everybody's talking about fact, True Detective. I, we got to get... It's, uh, it's coming. Yeah. East Coast feed is happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what House else? What else are you watching? House Mara? of Cards just came back. I don't know if anybody's watching that, but if you watch the first episode, holy shit! <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's actually it's really interesting because uh, you know I was listening to what you were saying before. Is these shows, uh, whether it's Game of Thrones or True Detective or House of Cards, is they're all, they're doing new things. Like TV's constantly evolving. Like they really this, fast these days. Really fast. Yeah. They did this thing on on the for in the season two opener of House of Cards, which I didn't think you could ever do. And now that's like, that's on the table for writers in a, in a weird way. It's like you, you, people will reference that. Travis and I were referencing like, you can do that now. And it's it's pretty spectacular. I mean, it's like this renaissance of television right now. It's really... There's almost nothing you can't do, I guess. Actually, yeah. that, that's, there's not really any rules left. Uh, Travis, what are you watching? Um, I watch, I have two kids, so less than I used to, um, but, uh, Walking Dead I'm still watching, even though I think, uh, <laughs> you're watching Downton Abbey too. Downton Abbey, Abbey. Downton Abbey. Yeah. I've been watching, uh, DVDs of the Muppets, um, be, which is actually really brilliant and I, I didn't know it was, uh, quite as in, insanely brilliant as it is. <laughs> Um, a lot of comedy, like Community, I think is amazing. Um, and we were just talking, like it, the fact that it's resurrected itself into something um, maybe better than it's ever been is pretty yeah. amazing. The Lava episode was pretty special. That was amazing. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's just it, it, they're just on firing on all cylinders. So, yeah. um, what else? <clears throat> Doug, what are you watching? I, I, I'm I'm horrible. I don't watch anything. You watch movies though. I watch I watch movies. I watch old yeah. movies. It's yeah. like, hey, Bonnie and Clyde, still awesome. <laughs> um, so that really, counts. don't listen to me. But here's here's the thing. I, I I don't watch. Here's the things that I need to watch. I need to watch <laughs> Homeland. I need to watch Breaking Bad. I need to watch The Walking Dead. I need to watch Downton Abbey. I need to, there's a long list you're of things that I, half of those you're that, right. I, that I that I absolutely I'm told that I, I need to watch to have any conversation that's civil in the writers' room that I work in. <laughs> And they just look at me like, what? You know, you can't see this, but it's it's worse than the face, <laughs> the face that I get. But I have an 11 year old son, and um, he watches Cartoon Network, which is genius. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say that I'm not really missing anything because, uh, and I'm going to pick up one of the comic books before I go, but uh, Henry, if you're listening to this, uh, I'm going to get you issue number 25 of my favorite show on television, which is Adventure Time. <laughs> and if you've seen Adventure Time, I mean... 
my God, you talk about stuff that you can do on television. I, ha- I cannot watch, wait to watch House of Cards. I did watch season one. Can't wait to binge watch all of season two. But Adventure Time, you talk about what the amount of, of first of all, bizarre soup, like, like, I've taken acid. I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> like, oh, it's trippy. No, it's not. It's, it's, they're beyond that. Way, way beyond that. But in addition to the stream of consciousness, I mean, Lumpy Space Princess is just... <laughs> I, I quote her. It was my ringtone for a while. Was <laughs> Lumpy Space Princess, and it really annoyed everyone in the room. Where because if, if, every once in a while you forget to turn your phone off, and you hear like, "Oh my gobbly, oh my glob, you guys, drama bomb," and I'm like, in Pendleton Ward's voice, you know. And I'm just like, "Well, she's a lump, but she's from space, and she thinks she, I should stop talking now, right?" Um, but in addition to the stream of consciousness, which is really truly inspiring, it's it is like. Joseph Campbell to a T. Within 12 minutes, they do perfect, mythic heroes' journeys that are incredibly moving, and the stakes couldn't be higher, both both externally, and uh, that someone's going to die or something like like real kind of breathtaking stakes, but also emotionally. They there are a couple of episodes that have really choked me up. The mythology that's underneath it, and the story of the Ice King, is as moving as anything I've ever seen. So. Um, you know, more food for thought as we're all exploring what can we do. Uh, I think you guys are right on the money. Like, we're living in a golden age, and let's, let's hammer the shit out of it. Like, <laughs> like we can do anything, and um, it's the time to do it. So even children's television uh, is spectacular genius. So that's what I'm watching. Please give a round of applause to all of our panelists, Douglas Petrie, Travis Pickett, and Terry Metellus, and Moira Curlin. Just great. Please continue clapping for H26LA and for everyone here at Nerdist Industries and Meltdown Comics. Thank you guys for coming. Thank you. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 